The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 84 of The Overview. I'm Chan Man V, and got Fish Chicks here with me. Got Doomfist here with me, too. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And I promise, we dry again. I promise we wouldn't have Doomfist to some people on Twitter. Boy, was I wrong. But... You know, we don't need DP. We, we've got this awesome guest with us today. Clockwork from the Houston Outlaws. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's been uh, months and months coming. Given When was the last? I asked you, like, that when was, was it? so long ago. Was that was so like, long? um... Oh, my God. That was at least a year ago. Was it a year ago? Oh, my God. I, I think so. Wow. Oh, God. Because I was looking, you know, it was on Discord. I was, like, messaging you, and I'm like... Oh yeah, that, you know, I I forgot like when I asked you last, and then <laughs> I didn't see the date. It was a year ago. Yeah, I think it was before I even joined NRG. Oh my I think. god! Yeah, so think, it must that's a long time ago. It might have been like right before one of your your mini breaks or something like that. Yeah. So, I'm not sure, but I'm glad we're finally having you on because I've um you know one of the things I, I wanted obviously the uh, overview audience to be able to hear is just really your story just with Overwatch and. And, um, you know, what, how you felt about it and just, you know, what kind of got you motivated and didn't. So we're going to get a chance to hear that t- tonight, which I'm excited about. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we've got uh, not that much news this week. I mean, there wasn't like, you know, a ton of like player news and things like that. But um, obviously we had a, a big kind of thing happen in the community, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Uh, but you know, why don't we just dive straight in? Like, we, want, we definitely wanted to, you know, do a like, mini interview with you, Clockwork, and um, you know, just kind of get you, just the history of of you and gaming, but um, obviously more importantly, your Overwatch history. But yeah, why don't you give us a little background, just of your your game? For a lot of folks that don't know where you came from in terms of you know your gaming background, like how'd you get started? Um, so I think I, I started really as a console kind of player. My mom bought me an N64 when I was like five or something. So I kind of rode that wave for like the golden decade, really. <laughs> Yeah. I, uh, my first real like competitive game, I guess was like super smash brothers melee. I learned oh, yeah. good game. Yeah. It's I learned like, like all, well, I mean like now we're like miles ahead of where we were before in terms mm-hmm. of like tech skill and stuff you can do in that game. But back then when really the advanced stuff was like wave dashing and all that stuff, I learned that in my room. I just sat in my room grinding it all day long. Yes. Um, and I wasn't really, I was too young to really travel and compete for real. So I didn't really compete, but I, I was competitive with myself and my friends and people who were really local. Mm-hmm. So it was like my real true first competitive game. And then I moved on to CS Source a little bit because my friend had CS and I'd never played it before. And I just pubbed. I mean, I didn't have a good gaming mouse. I didn't even know what sensitivity was i just kind of rolled with it yeah um and then tf2 was after that and that's where i really kind of hit my stride um i didn't even really know what competitive gaming was at the time i just played and somehow found myself in sort of like an inner circle of people who Mm -hmm. played the game competitively i was like oh what's this um and then i kind of worked my way up i didn't really get into the true competitive scene of tf2 until 
think it was really college. Um, I started when I was like 16, pubbed a lot, and then I probably took a bunch of breaks because I was in high school. Like I had a girlfriend one time, and I didn't want to oh, no. games and <laughs> right. that for a while. Um, and then when I went to college, that's when I really started everything fresh. You know, I didn't really have many friends there. I didn't have a girlfriend there, so I just kind of played TF2. And, it's, um, it's amazing how the college right. schedule is so much more conducive yeah. for becoming a pro player. It really, it really is. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. And... I went to my first LAN when I was 18 or 19, and I just kind of kept growing from there. Uh, we went to England, my first time out of the U.S. ever, and I was like 19 or 20, and we kind of repeated that journey over and over again. Mm-hmm. I won like I won two World Championships in TF2. I won a ton of ESEA ones. I don't know, like maybe seven or something. Yeah, and those of you who might not yeah. know, he's one of the great players in the TF2 history. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Are there legendary status in in TF2 right now? Um, I mean, there's definitely like there's like a database of like all the best players, like the things that they've won and stuff. Yes. So, I mean, it's very like low key, but um, I'm definitely. Record number one, two, and three. Yes, on most he's a legend, a guys. Match, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I, I never really followed this scene super closely, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I always heard of guys like you, uh, guys like Banny, guys like uh, uh, Harblue in my mind were like, okay, those were those were the all-star TF2 players. And you were playing Scout for right. basically entirely Scout, right? Yeah, uh, you didn't really off-class that much in that game. I mean, I was capable of playing Soldier, Demo, Medic, but... When you played in a match, you mm-hmm. played pretty much your class, unless you off-class to, like, Sniper or something, which was not that deep of a hero. Like, you really just had to click on people. So um, it was mainly Scout and then ever ever so often Spy, mm-hmm. Sniper. But Scout was my thing. And how long did you play TF2 competitively? How many years, roughly? Uh, probably, like, five. So I started in college when I was, like, 18, and I graduated college, so maybe like four or five, yeah. Because by the time I was done was when Overwatch was picking up. Mm-hmm. So I was around like 23, yeah. All right, so you, know, you obviously had like a very prolific career, you know, in, in TF2. And, uh, you know, the thing about TF2 is just that, like most games, you know, that we've seen just historically, you know, games are super popular and then they, you know, kind of die down a bit. And, you know, with the um, just the surgence or the resurgence of esports, you know, the longevity of games have been able to increase by a lot. So um, with TF2, I know, you know, just the TF2 community itself was like kind of shrinking a little bit at, at the time. And then with the news of Overwatch, I mean, definitely there was just already plans to kind of switch over. People like Brandon, you know, were planning way ahead, right? Just to, to get really get on the streaming and yeah. get on that really quick. Um, how did you feel about all this stuff? Because, um, you know, I know you, you, know, you obviously were on um, teams very, very early in the beta and had a lot right. of success too. But what was your the just, earliest teams? Yeah, the early, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't get any earlier than that. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Much. But what were your, yeah, what were your feelings about transitioning? Like, did you want to, or did you just feel like you had to? Uh, I don't know. It started so the last ESCA LAN we ever had because ESCA dropped TF2 for LANs. Then we had finals online. So the last LAN we ever had, everyone kind of already knew about Overwatch. It's like, see you in Overwatch, man. Like, see you in Overwatch. You know, like, when we were all, like, saying our goodbyes and stuff. Yeah. I remember 
Um, Platinum, he was a TF2 player. He planned on playing Overwatch. Didn't really work out for him because he didn't have time. But it was like sort of this like mythical, like I didn't really know it was going to be a thing. Um, I just kind of concentrated on TF2 and I guess like college at the time. Um, and then when Overwatch came out, it sort of all just like hit me at once. I, I wasn't ready for it at all. I was like, oh, new game, I guess. Um, and I wasn't really too into it because the, the rule set was weird. That was back when we had zero hero limit or no hero limit. <laughs> yeah. So like, No hero limit and also... Uh, you're, you're talking about like pre-stopwatch even. Yeah, it wasn't oh, even... Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. It was like for dark like, times. Like, I think we were even the first team, uh, not Enigma, to just run a bunch of divas. I'm pretty sure it was like in a scrim against Cool Matt's team at the time. Yeah, where you just... We were, it was like on yeah, we were going to get capped on <laughs> like, like Gibraltar or something, and instead yeah. of like getting capped, we all just switched to diva and fly around the cart, you know, infinitely, and they can't cap. <laughs> it's like stuff like that it made me I was like uh you know are they going to change this like am i actually gonna enjoy the game if, if they do change it so uh i think after so that i had that first hiatus right from christmas to like new year's mm-hmm. that time yeah. when the game first came out uh and during that hiatus they decided to go with another player instead of me on that not enigma team with the enigma seagull dummy or he wasn't on the team anymore but that group of people they picked up like hard blue and and all that stuff yeah and i wasn't really surprised because i mean i I really wasn't committed at all to the game because i didn't think it was really going anywhere like for me even in the esports scene with the way the rule set was so i just kind of took a step back and i think this is where um there's like a little bit of a a misunderstanding about from the community about how many times i quit or whatever because i really only truly quit that one time um, I just, I saw what the rules were and I was like, I'm just going to sit back and wait, you know, see yeah. like, how the game develops, see if it gets better. And in the meantime, my friend on his TF2 team, someone stepped down. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'll step in. I'm not playing Overwatch right now. I'm just kind of scoping it out. Um, and for me at that point, I, I just, like, if you're a good player in TF2, you just win. Like, <laughs> you're just going to win. So I was like, right. oh, another like a thousand dollars. I'll take that, you know, like yeah. whatever. Um, so I played, and then even during that season of TF2, I still scrimmed with, um, I think it was pre-Splice at the time, a team that was mm. eventually became Splice. I was playing with them while I was playing that TF2 season, because TF2 isn't really a game you have to scrim six hours a day or whatever. Um, so I would just play with them, and then by the time you know TF2 season was over, I just immediately switched back to Overwatch. And I've pretty much been you know just completely dedicated since. I was on Splice, mm. then NRG, then GFE and F energy if you then now so yeah. it was two years something okay. like that a year and a half yeah so there I mean definitely there was misconceptions about what was going oh, on yeah. I mean I even heard things like you were getting a job and, and stuff like yeah. that so it's just I mean just compl- I mean, that, you know right? it's just like completely retiring from gaming so it, yeah. none of that was true clearly <laughs> and uh-huh. in fact you kind of just had you know a, a, you know at least a, a tiny foot still in Overwatch that whole time so oh yeah yeah. Really cool. I was watching like people play as I was playing TF2, you know, mm-hmm. asking Enigma, talking to Enigma, talking to Pure. Um, so yeah. Uh, so I remember in, in the early days, one of the things that got me so excited about this game was um, the TF2 and a whole lot of other similar games were kind of sitting <laughs> by the wayside in esports for like years and years and years. Guys like you. Um, guys like myself, even uh, guys like Tailspin, were just 
grinding away at all these games. And obviously TF2 is much bigger than most of the other games I'm talking about. But right. still, I mean, the competitive scene was not big. Uh, and one of the things that really excited me in the early days was this is a new game. It's a chance for all of these different communities to show their worth. Um, I'm looking around right now, and <laughs> the Quake guys are no longer here. Oh, yeah. uh, most of the Tribe guys are gone, but TF2, there's actually still a lot a lot of you guys sticking around, huh? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of us still. Um, I thought it was interesting because I agree, because I knew Tailspin and Buds, I didn't like know them, I didn't really talk to them, but I played against them briefly when they played Shoot Mania, because I, was, I messed around with Shoot Mania a little bit when I was playing TF2 still. And it's just funny to see them again when I started this game. In fact, Tailspin added me, I saw him streaming one time before Overwatch even came out, and I went into his chat and I was like, yo. And then he added me on Steam to see if I wanted to make an Overwatch team with him when Overwatch came out. And at the time, I was still committed to my TF2 people. So we were going to make a team out of Freyo Tech, I guess, at the time was the original plan. So I was like, oh, no, you know, if, you know, something doesn't work out for sure, man. But otherwise, you know, I'm probably making a team with Freyo Tech. So just interesting the way, like, everyone's storylines kind of came together. Hey, rivals actually after that. Yeah, and then, yeah. then you ended up playing against uh, Tailspin and Cool Matt and those yeah. guys yeah. in that yeah. first ever weird. that first tournament. I think it was called the Fish Sticks Invitation. Yeah, right? I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even even the Quake guys, I've known all the Quake guys too because I used oh, yeah. to play Clan Arena constantly in Quake um, because Just I didn't like really want to learn duel. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. I didn't really want to learn duel and item timings and stuff. But I played a ton of Clan Arena, like top level Clan Arena. So against like all you know the people I used to play. So I know all of them too, like ID, um, Clock at the time when he played, uh, Rafa. You know, I knew them all. So, so it's kind of interesting. Why do you think it is that the TF2 players have, you know, transitions the best out of all the different games? I don't know, really. I mean, like I think is it's it really the, the role thing. I mean, is it really the role yeah. aspect of it? You think so? It might be. I mean, like, I think it's the closest. I think TF2 is the closest. It, it, it game. is by far the closest. Yeah, compared to the other ones, um, you know, even just game types, like yeah. Payload. You know, we didn't really play Payload competitively in TF2, but you know, everyone kind of had an understanding of what it is. So I think well, it draws a lot more people too. There were a lot more TF2 players too. Let's yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There was, I mean, the, the the scene was bigger at the time than like pretty much all these other games. Yeah. So actually, I remember uh, in the early days, uh, you were definitely one of the outspoken critics of the game. Um, mm -hmm. Has your perception of the game changed? Like, obviously, there's been a lot of balance stuff. A lot. I mean, we we didn't at the time there was no King of the Hill game type. Uh, you know, hero limits have been put in the game. How does has this changed your perception, or have you just grown to like the game more? Um, I mean, I think I've, I've definitely grown to like the game more. I think in general, when you play a game more and you get a better understanding of the game, you start to like it more. You just, you're more accepting of, you know, the times that you die or you mess up or whatever. But I think the hero limit thing definitely helped a lot um, because there was just really no structure at all. Not now! Before. Oh, there he is! <laughs> Not now! Wow. Okay. Oh, he didn't actually mean to do I that. Think, the ZP was, is apparently. I think he's now. yelling at his at his uh, roommate or something. <laughs> oh, fist, We've been dude. joined. I by actually fist. stumbled into the room, hit my thing, unmuted. It's been a thing. Uh, Welcome to the show, What's ZP. What's up, dude? <laughs> oh well, aside from hitting my shin on the way in and saying I'm okay. Uh, yeah, hello, Clockwork. <laughs> 
we, well, we're, we're just, just we're just like nerding about it uh, yeah nerding out about history right now esports yeah you know how it goes and so uh, so no hero limit obviously making a huge difference yeah, for you and really made a huge difference and then scrims too made a huge difference i never really played a game competitively that also had um a matchmaking system so like the first I ever got, or the closest I ever got, was CS. I played like a little bit of CS:GO, mm-hmm. but I wasn't good enough competitively to really notice that much of a difference between matchmaking and actual scrimming and matches. But in this game, it was super different too, which really turned me off. And I'm sure it would have been the same way in TF2 as well. You know, the TF2 matchmaking system mm-hmm. were popular in any in any regard. Oh I'm yeah, sure that came be. out, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I'm sure. I mean, it is a huge mess already, for sure. <laughs> But no one plays, so it's hard to really judge. But I'm sure if people played, it would be a huge mess too, because there's always going to be people who don't want to play the roles that yeah. you know are, are required, and that, that's always going to be a mess. So it's been a lot easier for me over the years to just concentrate on scrimming and matches and taking that super seriously, and that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I'm way more motivated to play the game when I'm you know in a so, team environment. So do you ever well, ladder? Let me ask you. Like, that. do you actually ladder at all then? Or no? Uh, no, I do. I play, okay, yeah. Okay. I don't. I just don't like really. It's not like a huge priority. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I'm way more into it when I'm in scrims and matches and stuff. Let me ask you this because I know we've talked a lot about it uh, over time in regards to the game and everything else. But how was it evolving to sort of the hero-based shooter that Overwatch is? Because even though TF2 was a class-based shooter, you didn't really have the concept of like here's a tank character that kills you when they're within x amount of space whereas now you're in overwatch where you know you had to deal with the entire concept for a while of like this is winston if he gets as close to you you die and it doesn't matter how well you aim at him yeah yeah that's definitely a big thing in tf2 we had like a very brief understanding of that because you know in tf2 if you were a soldier or something you got a buff from a medic you'd be at 300 health so in general, you still don't really want to like run into a soldier because you know all you have to do is shoot the ground with a couple rockets and you're dead. So it was like almost like a tank, but it wasn't really the same thing because you had more movement, you had more options, and it was a lot easier to make that decision to go in and then take that decision back and be like, oops, just kidding, and leave. You know, <laughs> like you can't really do that in this game. If you run into a Winston trapped inside his bubble with no resources, you're just dead. And that was your fault. And there's really no like outplay potential of that from your side, except for to not make that decision in the first place. Um, and that was something to definitely get used to, for sure. Because in TF2, again, it was like way more freestyle. You know, you can just kind of run around and make your own decisions, and then have your mechanics just back up your decision. So, so um, one thing you know, with your your just history, you know, um, with your team history, actually, you, you've been on quite a few teams, you know, and I would think that, you know, a player like of you, you know, just of your caliber and just, just knowing even just what, what little I do know of you so far is that you, you know, you, you'd probably stick with the team for a long time. So I, I kind of am curious as to what made you move around so much um, and, you know, what kind of landed you, you know, where you are now or, or maybe even just a little bit before that with, you know, F- NRG, FE and, and, and just really sticking with that team even for as long as you did. Yeah, I think a lot of like me leaving these teams or just not being on the team anymore, they were kind of unfortunate. I think, I mean, NRG was really the only time I got cut from a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have a choice in that matter. But I mean, Splice 
uh, the reason I love Splice is because I got to join Energy instead, right? Right. And I already knew a bunch of people on Energy too. So it was almost like I wasn't leaving a team. I was leaving a team, but I was joining a team that I also knew all the players on very well. So it kind of felt like a second home. Um, and then obviously all that went down. And then I joined GFE and I mean, we really stuck together with GFE through all the hardships. Um, we made like a couple of replacements along the way and we made F energy FE um, and Enigma left that team because he didn't really have the time to play. Otherwise we would have probably kept him. Um, and I mean, if Owl didn't really come along the way it did, we'd probably still all be playing together. Mm -hmm. I'm usually very loyal to my teams. Um, I don't really, I've always kind of been that way. I, in TF2, I was on like, I was with the same group of people pretty much my entire career. Um, I, I guess two groups of people my entire career. So I take um, being on a, on a team very seriously and my relationships with those players very seriously. How different uh, has it been adjusting to the just competitiveness of a game like Overwatch where, you know, both you and I played a whole bunch of old school FPS games. Of course, I was on the tribes end of it. You were on the TF2 end, but the practice schedule to be number one in some of the older FPS games was never so intense where you had your grind period where you got good at the game and really just truly enjoyed pubbing it. But then once you sort of hit top player status, you didn't always have to play to the degree that you do in Overwatch where in Overwatch, it feels like there's an ever-increasing standard of practice, right? Where not only do teams have to scrim, you know, anywhere from four to five or more days a week, but the onus on you as a player that continually hone your mechanics couldn't be any higher, especially with the amount of money involved and everything else. How has that transition been? Because at some level, does it sort of really hammer home the point that even though this is a game, it's also now work in a sense as well? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't think anyone from TFC was really ready for what Overwatch was, for what being like a professional gamer was. Because a lot of the time in TF2, you'd have people complain that we scrimmed for like two and a half hours that <laughs> night. You know, like, what are we doing? Like, can we, can we just do our own thing? Like, we already scrimmed like three times. You want to play another one? So it was like so different. Um, now you really do have to think about it as a job, which is something you didn't have to do in TF2. Um, I think that caused a lot of players to, to fail that tried to come from TF2. I know like a friend of mine, Kozen, he was really good in TF2. He didn't really, I think he's trying to play again now, but when he first started playing, he wasn't really ready for how much time he really needed to dedicate to the game. Uh, he wanted to do like his college tennis thing on the side and like all this other, other stuff and he just can't, can't do it. You know, I got lucky and I went to college when I played TF2. So the time I had to dedicate to TF2 didn't really hamper much of my college experience. Whereas, you know, for people who are in college now and they're trying to get into Overwatch, it's a heavy workload for sure. You know, you have to like have your social life, you have to have your schoolwork, you know, God forbid you work a job on the side too. Like you really just don't have any time for Overwatch. That's, if you wanna... I don't think there's anybody that has a job on the side, no. right? That's impossible. No, you, you can't. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. 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 So like you have to just give that up completely. You have to maybe even lighten your school workload, drop out of college for the time being. It's definitely a heavy commitment that people didn't really have to deal with when they played yeah. you know, TF2, Tribes, whatever. So, not not go to college in some particular yeah, instances here. It's, yeah, yeah, it's that's definitely true. Definitely 
just the even the change that parents have to even take looking at this i think is has been uh even pretty enlightening to to see at least yeah. a few parents that we've gotten a chance to talk to oh you've talked to parents That's well i mean funny. like jake's you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know they definitely have a i don't know maybe a, a more um you know uh, a forward thinking type of view on on things mm -hmm. versus like your average parent but right. it's refreshing and great to see that you know to see that that type of support for this industry that's obviously growing and you know we we obviously want it to become super huge and it's actually got that kind of trajectory and even people like them are believing in it which is really really awesome yeah it's definitely cool i couldn't imagine like six years ago seven years ago telling my parents like oh no. i really think i want to go to college i want to you know try to pursue tf2 at the time you know it just yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't happen so it's remarkable how it's changed over time because you know this is where you know, I start dating myself, but um, I, I think about my experience in esports all the rest, and this just wasn't an option when I was turning eighteen. Now, I, I actually do think that age in esports is somewhat overblown. I think you could be really effective even into your early thirties and so on and so forth. But it's about finding if you want to really grind that out. But the point is that when you are sort of at your era of max, I want to grind a billion hours a day, which I feel like is when you're a little bit younger, you know, th this wasn't an option for me. And like clockwork wasn't even an option for you, though you're certainly younger than I am. And yeah. you've just seen everything evolve over time now. We're just like, oh, I'm really good at a game. And there's a clear career path that's there now that wasn't necessarily there even as early as five years ago. Shit, even two years ago. <laughs> two years yeah, ago. It's true. It's definitely, it's definitely true, though. Like, when you're 18 or something, yeah, like, that's yeah, your prime true. time of, like, I'm going to grind this game. I don't care about anything else that's happening. I just want to play the game. You know, I don't care about friends. I don't care about girlfriends. I don't care about social life. I don't care about school, really. That's the time that you can really dedicate to, to games, I think. Because as you get older, even, like, around my age, it's like you want more. You know, like you want to have that social life. You want to have like an experience that isn't just playing 20 hours a day, you know, mm. whereas like 18 year olds, that's what they do. 16, like you're playing 20 hours a day and you're forgetting about everything else. Yeah, you don't got bills like, to pay. You don't got, you don't got anything you don't have bills to, to pay. About. You don't have anything. Mom and yeah. dad are doing your laundry. Exactly. I mean, it's like. Your, <laughs> your wrist is still prime. It's, you know, it's yep. not, it's yeah. perfect. That's the it's time true. when you want to be dedicating. Well, actually, yeah. that's a good point to sort yeah. of segue into is that. In your case, uh, Clockwork, obviously, like I said, you're not really that old or anything, but right. you know, how has like getting older affected your ability to play the game? And it's just sort of, I guess, probably going to be reiterating some of your later points, but mm -hmm. basically what's different in terms of your practice now and like how you have to approach it versus your practice back in the day? Yeah. Um, I think back in the day, it really was. I was just so infatuated with, with games that I could just play constantly and never get sick of it and never feel like I'm fatigued and want to just keep going. Whereas when I've gotten older, it's more about balancing different aspects of your life in addition to, you know, just playing. Um, I don't really think physically I've changed much. Like I don't really notice like any difference in my aim, reaction time, any of that. You know, again, I'm not really that old, but still like I haven't really noticed anything like that. I think a lot of it stems from motivation. And I think when you see like a lot of, um, teams in esports that are maybe like late 20s like maybe like Virtus pro or something i don't really know exactly what their practice regimen is but i assume they're a lot more um 
lot more forgiving on the on the practice side of things. Like I'm, I'm sure they have their own lives, right? Because Pasha has like a wife or something. You know, a, a lot of them <laughs> the have kid. lives. Yeah, he's a kid. Yeah. That's by so itself. like you have a lot of things to do that that can really you know not put yourself on the same level as the other players that are 18 years old and they're just grinding the game. That's a huge thing. I think um, the whole reaction time, like you're too old to play, is very overblown. I'm sure there's like some small little margin of you know, I'm not as good as I used to be, I'm not as fast as I used to be, but a huge part of it is definitely the motivation you have, or the time, I guess, you really have to put in. So a lot of people oh. who get older, they don't have it. Okay, well, I mean, I guess kind of maybe it might be going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but, um, you know, we have kind of that type of analogy right now whenever a lot of people talk about the Koreans and their kind of lifestyle versus even just the lifestyle here in the West, you know, no matter how old you are, right? Like, we, we tend to have a different type of scheduling and and practice regimen than they do over there. So yeah. I guess my question to you is, um, if that's what you're going against, uh, is it going to be the situation where they're just going to be better than you and, and from like that type of practice standpoint? Or do you think that they are going to eventually have uh, a type of schedule that's going to be more balanced? Uh, wh which, which do you think is going to give, I guess? Which side? I, I definitely think as time goes on, I think it might be a little more balanced for them because the, I think there's definitely diminishing returns when it comes to games like this, the amount of time you put in, because everyone sort of gets to a, a certain level of understanding of how to play the game. And once everyone's sort of there, the difference between putting in like 20 hours and, and 15 hours during X time period, I think is very negligible. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the beginning of the game, like especially that's why you see so many people were so good for so long and people finally caught up because they put so much time in in the beginning and no one else really did. So they learned about the game while everyone else was slacking off. But as time goes on, I think the more balanced approach is a lot more important because the amount of time, the raw amount of time you put in isn't as beneficial to you as a player as, I don't know, finding that right balance in your life to really put yourself in a good mindset to compete. Mm -hmm. So I think that is definitely the goal for most teams as time goes on. Um, I think the Koreans will only, I think we'll only get closer to the Koreans as time goes on. Yeah, that, that didn't exactly happen in, in other esports. <laughs> well, I, I guess like it is starting to happen in StarCraft a little bit, at least. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, you know, we've talked a lot about your background here. Let's talk about the future and, and well, let's talk about today and the future. Uh, we're a little bit less than a month from the Overwatch League preseason starting. Uh, it was just announced, uh, what was it, two weeks ago. That you will be joining uh, some some other very talented players on the Houston Outlaws roster actually ends up being a big chunk of the FNRG FE squad uh, transitions over to this team. You've also got guys like Linkser. Uh, talk about this roster and, and what it means to be part of the Houston Outlaws. I'm I'm super excited for the for the future. Really, um, I know everyone on this roster pretty well, and I'm, the people that I don't know, we're getting along very well. We've all just recently moved in, so we're, you know, going out to dinner a lot, we're having fun. Um, I respect everyone immensely on the roster as a player. I think we have all the all the good parts, really, all the parts required to um, become a, a real threat. So I'm definitely excited. Um, FNRGFE as a whole, we were like a family. We, you know, we knew each other really well. We were great friends. So even just having that foundation within a team, I think is really important so that the team doesn't tear itself apart. You have like a very strong core of people who are very, um, they just work well with each other. They're just used to dealing with each other. So Speaking I think- of, 
Yeah, I got Speak- I was going to say, speaking of outlaws getting together here, going uh, into practicing now, obviously, like, checking out Twitter, you guys have all just been moving in uh, last week and this week. When do you guys start practicing again in earnest? And I guess, what what is the level of prep leading into preseason going to regular season? Is there a ramp up, or are you guys just going to hit the ground and start on the full-time schedule within the next week or two? Um, so we are waiting for all of our Europeans to get here. So we probably won't start practicing for real until at least Banny and Linkster and Spree make it over. So that's probably within the next couple of weeks. And then once that happens, we'll probably, I don't really know because the preseason, there's a break, right? Obviously after the preseason, there's Christmas and New Year's and stuff. And then you go back to the regular season. So it might actually just be beneficial to hit the ground running in the preseason and just put a lot of time in and just see where it takes you. I mean, I don't think anyone is really, you know, taking the preseason super seriously. You just want to kind of scope each other out and see what's going on, um, see who your threats are, if you have any strengths versus different teams and stuff. But um, I think it's important to hit the ground running just because you're going to have a break subsequent to that right after. Yeah, you know? so that makes sense. You yeah. want to at least get as much time together as you can before the regular season starts, which is what, January, some, sometimes January, right? I don't know yeah. if it's well. I mean, yeah, I guess so. the teams don't have to take a break if they don't want to, but yeah, it sounds like yeah, at least you guys will be taking. We probably time. will, just yeah. because. I mean, for us, we're all from different parts of the U.S. So yeah. if you want to go back home for Christmas, either family catch up because we've been away for a while now, or mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be away for a while when that time comes up. So yeah, we definitely want to, you know, make sure everyone is mentally there and they're not homesick and they're feeling like, you know, they have family by their side. Yeah. Um, so one one thing, I, I guess, you know, kind of leading into you being picked by the um, Outlaws, were you worried about not being picked? I mean, because you were one of the um, later players, yeah. I would say, that was like, you know, appeared on the Houston roster. And, yeah. you know, Flame well, was on I here was, talking a little bit. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was in talks with um, the Outlaws for a while. Mm-hmm. I just, we, we all had the same... Um, signing process so we all kind of got signed at the same time even though we were in talks oh, with okay. outlaws for right. a while um but i was definitely worried for a little bit you know about not getting into owl because i you know as you can see there are a lot of like fantastically talented players that didn't make it in right mm-hmm. so it's definitely it was on my mind for a while um then i know muma always wanted to continue to play with me so you know i know muma was like a hot commodity so um I was hoping that I could at least, you know, get like a recommendation from him for another team or like nice. something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Cause I mean, like we, I think all of us on F- FNRGFE deserve to get into, um, get into OWL because we were all, we're all fantastically good players. We showed that we know how to work as a unit. We made it to, you know, the semifinals of contenders on no budget. We had no sponsor, <laughs> right. we had nothing. Um, so I think it's pretty impressive. And, um, I don't know. I think that for a while I was definitely worried, and then once Flame got into contact with me, everything <laughs> everything brightened up a bit. Yeah, because yeah. pretty, pretty strong. The, the flame brightened the up. Game. The flame, oh, yeah, it's, the uh, flame brightened the room. It's you. It's it's Muma. It's uh, it's Flame. It's Messer. Is there mm-hmm. are there any other guys that play TF two? Yeah. So okay. So it's me, Jake. Yeah, oh, oh, Jake yeah, as well. Jake. Muma, yeah, right. Boink. Mezer Tyrong. Tyrong? Um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, am I missing? I feel like it'll be really embarrassing if I miss someone. 
There's not, not many. There's not um, many not, who was not important in TF2 at all, but technically played? Like, who was not? Yeah, I, I know this sorry. feel. Who, who like, was like on the tier Jake? three team Jake... where you're just like, ah, uh, yeah, that guy played my game. I did recognize. <laughs> Jake played Highlander, didn't he? It was it was sort of like a yeah no he played a little bit of um, oh. UCA invite and stuff too but he was definitely not like as prolific as like Mubo Boink and me. Um, I mean, Flame played TF2. Yeah, so yeah. I miss that. So, well, yeah, let me ask you this: uh, with Optic in the signing process, obviously you guys have more than six players. How have they gone about the entire issue of playtime and who's going to play what? If you can go into it, if you can't. Uh, you know, just leave it be. But basically, did they were they upfront and saying, "Look, we're going to evaluate how well you guys are playing. You're all going to get shots, and you know the the starting starting roster will be who we think is playing best at the time." Where I I guess are you in a situation where they're sort of telling the DPS prove yourselves, and uh, there'll be opportunities, sort of deal. Um, potentially, I we really haven't gone too much into what the starting roster is going to be. I'm sure we'll have one, but I'm sure it will also revolve around what's popular at the time, even who we're playing against, you know, like we could be playing against a team that doesn't deal with X heroes correctly. So we'll put in the players who are really good at those heroes instead of the players who aren't. And then right. for, we probably have, you know, like just, we're going to have it all around, like this is our starting roster kind of thing. And then we'll rotate people in based on what is meta, what's not, what's weak against this and what's strong against that. So. I think we're really just going for a big cohesive unit of of understanding, you know, helping each other get better. We have enough people to even put together a practice team. You know, we have like twelve people, and Messer yeah. and Tyrong both played Overwatch. You know, so they. Can... What about Flame? Flame played Overwatch. <laughs> yeah, but we have twelve without him. So it's I, I will yeah. say, uh, you do have a lot of tough competition in the DPS spot. We're we're talking about potentially three of like. I literally think you're, the, the other DPS on your team are like three of the most flexible DPS players in the entire game. I mean, yeah. Linkser, Jake, Mendo, these guys can play literally any character in the game. Yeah. Mendo especially is like really good at flex heroes, like even tanks, I mean. So that's definitely one thing we have going for us. But I don't know. I, I think I'm a lot more flexible than people think I am too. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, I can play pretty much any DPS hero. The only one that I'm not confidently strong on is Genji. But we have Linkser. So Linkser is <laughs> so Jake, my counterpoint to that Jake. that you just mentioned there, uh, Fish Six, would just also be the idea that well, it's great that all four players can be flexible. Wouldn't it be better to start specializing a bit and tell hero, tell each player to sort of develop their zone for heroes that they really practice in heavily and therefore, your flexibility comes the idea that you can swap people in and out between maps because these players have put in above average playtime on it. Heroes, you're likely running the set versus going, oh, it's this player, he can run anything. But then you get outclassed by a specialist on another team that's running the one thing they run really, really well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's our, our goal pretty much is to just have everyone select heroes that they want to get good at or that the team feels like they should get good at and then we can just work from there it's really not that important if you know like i'm passively good at all the dps heroes right. that doesn't really do anything for anybody you want to have people be amazingly good at two to three heroes you know and then you can just throw them in whenever you need them so can you be amazingly good at three heroes i mean i can see two uh, i can see people I mean, being super good at two yeah, it depends, like, what what the heroes you're playing are, right? I mean, a lot of them have similar 
play styles, at least like aiming styles, like McCree and Soldier. If you're really good at Soldier, I feel like you should be able to be pretty good at McCree at the same time, just because the aiming styles yeah. very similar. So you just have to adjust your play style given what hero you're playing. And then to add another one on, I mean, it, maybe if it's like if it's like Reaper, like Reaper is a very basic hero, right? So like if you if Reaper became popular, you could definitely juggle those through heroes pretty easily. I think because Reaper is really not much. What heroes? What mm-hmm. heroes do you potentially see yourself focusing on uh, into the future? Knowing, of course, that this answer could change based on what everyone else is playing. But right. if you had to pick three heroes where you think you might sort of make that your zone, what would that be? I think it would really just be Tracer, Soldier, McCree, probably. I mean, it depends, like, what, you know, the other heroes, how popular they become. Like, if Reaper became a really good hero, I honestly think I'd be the best Reaper in the game. Old, yeah, old school, time, man. Yeah. yeah, until that time comes, yeah. you know, it's kind of pointless to think about. But, I mean, I think I'm really good at Farah too. I would love to, like, practice my Farah. I think I'm, I could easily be really good at Farah. I was always really good at rockets and projectiles and stuff. I just never really put the time in because mm. i was always the hit scam player so yeah but i'm really good with projectiles for sure it's good to have a lot of overlap i mean it as yeah. much as there is like competition with four dps players here or capable four people capable of it i mean people are going to slump you know it, it happens to every single team like mm-hmm. whatever great dps play we're talking about for like a month the next month they seem to go into a slump whether teams have adapted to them focus on them or whatever so I think it's actually good to be able to, you know, yeah. sub somebody much more fresh might add a different element to playing the, even the same hero. Yeah. Uh, so well, it's good. That's it's like really the thing. Good. Yeah. Like even when you play the same hero, you could just have a different mindset as mm-hmm. to how to play a hero. Like Baby Bay, for instance, when he played Soldier, he was like just a super aggressive in your face, like <laughs> that's right. standing in front of the other team, just getting chain healed by all his healers, running away when he needs to. And you compare that to like Jake. It's like way different, right? Like Jake just plays like more positionally, tries to outsmart positionally. But Baby Bay was just, I'm going to stand in front of you. I'm going to try to hit every shot. And then if I do, you're dead. And I, I win, you know? Well, so there's definitely different styles too. When you think about that, the next level of Overwatch coaching very well could be coaching the, you know, just for matchups against a team where maybe you know that they're going to be running, say, uh, you're going against the Shock and you're up against Baby Bay. You know he's going to be super aggressive and therefore you tailor your strategy around like, dives that can take advantage of a soldier that's out of position uh, in the sense of being a little bit aggro. And then you also have the counterplay there where you just go, oh, they're really keying in on this one player. They did their homework on player X. Why don't we swap him out and mess <laughs> right. with their game plan? Yeah. So yeah. you do have like this extra layer there that I think good coaches will eventually take advantage of. Uh, I'm not sure how much we'll see people take advantage of in season one, but in theory, the depth is definitely there. You know, I wonder if it's going to be like baseball where you actually have to turn in your your lineup sheet. That's what I'm saying. Like it's a lot more similar to sports too, just in that mindset where you have like a big sports team and they can just kind of do internal scrimmages between all the players. So everyone gets better, even the players that are on the bench and who aren't Mm -hmm. playing as much. So when you need them, you know, your main player gets injured or he's just not feeling it that week, which can, you know, very, very well happen. You can send someone else in to take their spot and it's really not much of a hit and it might even be a benefit against, you know, certain opponents. So yeah. it's a lot different to other esports like CSGO or something where you have the same people playing every single week. You know, it's just a big cohesive unit of people who can be thrown in at, thrown in at any time. Is much different. I, I mean, this, this is new in esports. We've so never new. really had this it's unique um, yeah. that I can ever think of. There's no other team game I can think of where people switch in and out. So yeah, kind of kind of cool. It's gonna be it's awesome. Cool. 
Hey, so, well, you, you were mentioning that not everybody's here yet, you know, at least uh, moved in yet. Is Tyrong there already? No, Tyrong. Okay. Okay. Um, so both our coaches aren't here yet and our Europeans are not here yet. So like any, okay. like there's really no way to scrim right now. So we're just, you know, handling what we need to handle. Have you gotten a chance to interact with Tyrong much? Like how is he so far as a coach? Do you, anything or um, no? I haven't really gotten like much coaching from him, mm -hmm. but I mean, as a, Person, I think he's really, really funny. Okay. Interacting with him, sporting stuff That's for sure. Funny. I don't know if you've seen him on Twitter for a reason. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you've seen funny. his starboard, but you know, I mean, on Twitter, he's really funny. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. And he knows everyone. You know, he has like a, a mutual respect for everyone because he has that TF2 background. He actually, it's really funny. He used like Flame used to design HUDs in TF2, and yeah. Tyrong said something about his HUD when we first got into contact with him or whatever. About coaching, he's like, oh, Flame HUD. It's just really funny. I don't know. It's just, Did he, he used to a, use it? Yeah, yeah. He oh, used really? To use okay, so, all right. Yeah. So, oh, that's funny. He has like an understanding of, of everyone on the team and like what, we're, what our potential is, what we're capable of. Cool. So. Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, congrats on you know getting into OWL. You know, it's going to be super exciting. And it's going to, I think you guys are going to be one of the fan favorites too. So mm -hmm. um, it's going to be great to see how you guys end up doing this first season. Um, but why don't we move on to some other topics, you know, given that we've uh, interviewed you for almost an hour I'm, now. It's definitely been great, though. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really not that, I'm not that, you know, interesting, so we should probably move on. <laughs> you are I'm more, trying to scrape you, my you brain for some... Enough, enough credit. Mm -hmm. Look, well, when I woke up from my allergy medicine-related coma, I rushed my computer because I did not want to miss, uh, <laughs> yeah, I not exactly. miss this interview. I know, dude. I missed you, man. I missed <laughs> yeah. you for so long. We tried no, because I just carry. find the entire topic interesting because yeah. you were sort of like someone that I used as an example for a lot of stuff for a long time we're just like look yo here's yeah. a player that's coming in like you know basically where do old school players come in i think you've had like this really cool story of like you know some downs at the beginning but some great up so yeah. thank you so much for taking the time yeah no problem it's fun man. absolutely all right well let's talk about uh, a big discussion that's been happening lately which is the whole one trick you know i guess i'm calling it one trick dilemma here and um you know we've been hearing it obviously off and on for the last i don't know months now in terms of mercy and things like that but something happened this week that i, I think uh was a little bit different and i think it's worth discussing again which is um a blizzard posted a few things and i think the very first one was the one that was a little bit like whoa like jarring because they basically had a post that was just saying that people were getting banned for for one tricking or at least one tricking is not allowed you know i really had that kind of context to it they then posted again that one trick is one tricking is actually if you only play one hero it's perfectly fine like don't worry you'll be okay just play nice you know they were trying to get that kind of sentiment over so for me and i think a lot of the community people are just confused as to what you can and can't do now um clearly there are going to be people that don't have time to really be good at more than one hero uh, but at the same time, you kind of have to be good at one more than one hero to be able to to flex for your your team or if your team asks you to change and you're playing nice, right? Uh, so what's y'all's take on this? Because I feel like this is the most confused or maybe even fearful. So, like the maybe the the overall player pool might be at this point, whether they get banned or not, just for doing what they normally do. Uh, this is, we don't have the information we need is the problem here. Uh, I don't want to like go out on, on a stump and talk 
about lofty uh, like philosophies about how this should be done and how Blizzard is screwing it up because we don't really know how Blizzard's doing it at all. Uh, this all basically blew up. Correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not even that, that knowledgeable on the whole situation. But this all blew up because one person, Fui, got, got banned, uh, to, to my knowledge. This this is like how it hit this this correct day. Uh, Torbjorn man, yeah, he's yeah, a Torbjorn, Torbjorn man. man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got banned, but he could have been banned for many reasons. He could have been reported for in in every single game because he's being toxic, because he's actually purposely throwing, because he's actually doing more than just picking Torbjorn. I don't really know, and I don't think most people really truly know like the actual reason why Blizzard decided to ban them. I would say I would never expect blizzard to actually ban one tricking like i don't think that i don't think we're ever going to get to the point where you can legitimately be banned for one tricking i think there has to be some element of bad behavior of toxicity that gets you reported um i don't know like for sure but i mean that's that's just how i think things are probably unfolding so my point of view is that blizzard kind of has put themselves in a little bit of a corner here just because you have the general gameplay philosophy of play it you want, but then you also have heroes that are very much specialist heroes in the game that aren't all purpose, that will, like, as you go up in competitiveness, make the people you play with angry if you play them in clearly suboptimal situations where, you know, you throw things aside here, people go, okay, the meta is always evolving. Sure. But there's certain hero designs that, frankly, do not lend themselves to certain things in the game. In this case, you have your builder heroes, right? Your Symmetra and your Torbjorn that historically are not geared towards attack. I mean, it's not really how turrets work. It's not how those heroes go. Mm-hmm. And you have a case where one tricking those heroes is going to generate a lot more ire from the people you play with than someone who one tricks a more specialist hero or sorry more general hero like a 76 or a lucio or well i guess any support hero because there's just not that many supports so there is a tension there and part of it is just from the gameplay scenario where specialist heroes aren't really meant to be played all the time and you're always going to upset people if you play them in roles that they really weren't intended to be played in. Yeah, I agree a lot with what CP was saying. I mean, I th- I think it's a really huge pivot for Blizzard to like just start banning one-tricking. That's why I sort of agree. Like, I feel like I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. But if we do, it'll it hinges a lot on the fact that there is some there are some heroes that are okay to one-trick. Like, if you play Diva during Diva meta and you only play Diva. If you're a good player, you're not going to get reported for one tricking. Yeah, you could be like Cool Matt, you know? You could be cool. Cool Matt literally played Diva (laughs) last season and got to like rank like six. He also basically one tricks in competitive play as well. Yeah, actual tournaments. So it works out. Yeah. So, you know, Diva, for instance, is a very good hero in almost every single situation. There are a few times where if you're not playing Diva optimally, that you should switch out to something else. But, you know, Symmetra, for instance, is a very niche hero. And if you play it in a situation where she might not be good, that, you know, people are going to want that to be bannable, but they don't want D.Va to be bannable. So it's like a very volatile situation. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, like, there's there's nowhere where they actually say or require you to be able to be good at more than one hero. You know, yet, you know, it's designed for you to be flexible in a way. You know, to to be able to to build 
comps with um, you know just how the matchmaking is made. So yeah, I, I think that's where it's going to be really really tricky for them. And you know, I, I don't know if it's going to get to the point where it is kind of a a very big big problem. I don't think it's quite there yet, but it's something that's always just going to be there. So I I don't know if it's like you know try to steer some of these people to deathmatch or try to steer them away from the actual you know comp ladder and and things like that. Or if, I don't know, they'll have to maybe build some type of progressing um, structure where you have to actually be good at more than one character to be able to get to master and GM levels or something like that. Um, you also... Something. You had one really important point there, which was the idea of like where does skill level come to play, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we sort of reference the specialist heroes where there's a more defined setup, but the reality for your sniper heroes, your Widow and Hanzo, is that whether or not people accept you being a main of that character depends on your skill level in the game relative to everyone else that's in the game because those heroes are very binary by nature, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you have a flower level talent, it you pretty much show that you can play Widow regardless of what's getting thrown at you, right? Where you can just crush everyone if your skill level is that high. Whereas, you know, the average person is obviously going to have ups and downs, and those heroes are very binary where you're either generally crushing or you're getting crushed so is it right to punish say someone for being a widow one trick in a game where they have half their games that they're doing incredibly well and half their games that they just do yeah. bad in like anyone else but it's just so much more apparent when a widow is being bad versus say a soldier or a tracer where it's a little bit more variable yeah yeah it's definitely hard because that's why i think a lot of people are going for or they want the community to have their own say in things i guess more of like a more of like an outlaw outlook on it where like you there's no like real governmental system right like it's just a bunch of players that are like i don't like what you're doing you know go to low priority queue or something that's why it's always been a, an idea that's been tossed around right because that's what happens in dota you know you're like throwing or you're trolling or you're not picking good hero in dota enough people get annoyed and they're like i don't want you in my games anymore and they report you enough and you get low priority queue and then you have to work your way out and that's, I think that's like a solution, but is it really the best one? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, people are not necessarily throwing when they do that. That that's where it's right, yeah, a conflicting yeah, thing. Exactly. That, that's just how exactly. they are. You know, it's like, exactly. um, yeah, it, it's definitely an issue that it's very difficult to fix. And I'm really curious to see what they end up doing. You know, hopefully they do something. I just don't know exactly what the the most elegant fix is for something like this. Um, but, you know, it, this is just going to be something that just keeps popping up, you know, and yeah, I'd, I'd like them to at least try to attempt to do something about it. Um, I would say one thing that would probably be a step in the right direction. Note that not everyone who falls in the category of like one trick is in like is in this category, but you do have the idea of individual uh, performance based SR, which is well known now and how it enables someone who's playing a lesser played hero like a Torb or Symmetra to stay at higher ranks with a sub 50% win rate because they're playing better, like they're getting judged against other Torbjorns and Symmetras, right? Mm -hmm. I think lessening that impact greatly or doing something to, I guess, recognize that these heroes aren't quite as good and not giving them like the benefit of the doubt for playing better again relative to other heroes would probably be a start because the, there's something to be said where say you have a tracer right where tracer for a long time now has been one of the very best heroes to carry with etc outperforming 70 percent of other tracers at a high skill level 
when there's so much competition, it's probably going to be more difficult than outperforming 70% of other Torb Bjorns at the same skill level when the pool of people that are maining Torb is so low. So I, at some level, the SR system probably needs to value wins, uh, like win rate above all else and sort of eke away from the individual. The, <laughs> that's the, that's like part. a whole other discussion, too. Well, it, it is, but it also is a big part of the one-track debate. For the, that's off, true. It is. For the it, I know it, it is related to an extent. It ties in a lot, too, because it's not even like having the best stats is even you playing the best way you possibly can. You know, yeah. There's yeah. definitely times when sacrificing your life or going for a risky play. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah, it's better. Or switching when you have like alt or yeah, exactly. But you things. get punished for it because you get ranked against people who are like trying their hardest to just make sure their damage and their KD is as high yeah. as it possibly can be. Yeah, because so. as if you're a soldier player, right? You're not rewarded for going. Oh, this guy's playing a little bit aggro. I'm going to go suicide helix rocket him, take him out. Like, say it's a bursty that's a little bit aggro. Because if even if you win the fight and end up winning the game you've done way less than the guy that was hiding yeah. in the back and goes, I'm just going to wait for someone else to make a play because yeah. getting cleanup is giving you a lot more performance than getting the initial yeah. kill. And yeah. that's mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, hopefully they'll do something about it. It's, it's I'm sure it's going to come up again at some point uh, down the road on, on this show. Uh, but why don't we move on to PTR, given that uh, we've seen a little bit more of PTR, you know, uh, just more on Mercy. Last time we had a show, like, it just literally came out. So um, none of us had really gotten a chance to experience it that much. Uh, but now it's been a week. You know, we we saw, you know, an event over the weekend, too, you know, where, where we had some games that actually um, ran on the PTR. Um, Clockwork, have you gotten a chance to try out Moira and, and Mer the Mercy changes? Or no, not really. Have you no. gotten a chance to see it at all? Like, was, yeah, have you had yeah, any thoughts on it? A little bit, for sure. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to say, right? It, yeah. When as soon as things start to be used in scrims, like that's when you can really tell how useful something's going to be. But like when you're using PTR, it's really just hard to even know if it's the best option. I wasn't really able to scrim with Moira at all, so. Mm -hmm. I know okay. it's, teams are probably streaming with them now, right? Um, I would assume like so. Yeah. Like Arden and Owl. Yeah. So, yeah. It should be coming out in a week and a half or so. I mean, it's pretty... I would assume it's going to be pretty close before it's out on production. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it looks like an interesting hero in, in the sense that there's definitely like a lot of mechanics to it. Yeah. So that's like kind of interesting. You definitely want your supports to have a lot of mechanics that you know, allows you to actually feel like you're performing and doing well in the game while also playing support. It's like the Ana mindset. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to aim, and you have to hit your shots, but you're also healing. So you're doing both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, ben and ZP, like, do you guys notice anything this weekend? Like, in terms of what we did see with some of the pros playing it, Mercy still feels damn strong. I'll say. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's much, 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 much more difficult her for her to res when she doesn't have her alt, but it's certainly still possible, and. Her alt is so freaking good. Like just it just good. makes the fact yeah. that the fact that her res, uh, her cool res on cooldown isn't as good anymore. Kind of, kind of just even emphasizes how strong her alt is even more so because it's not just the two reses. It's the chain healing to everyone. That's basically like a half. Zenyatta. It's basically like half <laughs> of a transcendence yeah. plus being able to res twice. Um, it's just insanely, insanely good. So. Uh, Mercy still definitely doesn't feel like she's underpowered. Uh, I, I was trying to get reactions out of ZP and other casters about Moira during during the uh, during the thing, uh, but I, I don't know. I think Moira's 
already in an okay spot. I mean, one one thing we did notice is that we kept seeing the the Moira players getting like sixteen thousand healing in a game. Like they were <laughs> the Moira players were actually God. getting the most healing out of any like any uh, supports that we've like ever seen. Uh, so it certainly wow. seems possible to that. heal your team. Yeah, yeah. there's. I think Custa got like sixteen, seventeen thousand healing once, um, which was pretty nuts. So I, I don't know. I, I, I like theory crafting. We don't know much yet. Uh, I think Mora is in an okay spot. Um, I still have questions though whether she's going to be, you know, any better than a Zenyatta and Mercy, um, which just seems to be like the combo right now. It's really, it's hard to say. I don't know. Well, she seems like she's very good. Well, two things. One, she's a very good neighbor with other heroes in terms of setting up combos where in terms of cleanup going into a fight, she gives you a lot more oomph power that you don't usually get for the support. The idea of, I have a Graviton up. Oh, you can Moira ult. That should be enough for an Earth Shatter or anything like that. So it's definitely more aggressively theme support, especially in follow-through and combination abilities. I would say that she definitely did seem to excel as we thought in you know, more grounded pound comps where you run more tanks than usual, you sort of roll into the other team, you brawl it out, right? Because she's a support that can actually get in the thick of things with the other tanks and doesn't really have to worry about people diving in on her. Her escape options are incredibly good. Her self-healing when people dive on her is very good. I, I would say her biggest threat is probably going to be from... Heroes like Widow and McCree, heroes that can burst her down from a mid-range without really caring as much. Mm -hmm. She seems like she's going to be really good against teams that want to run the, the old-school full dive, where I, I don't know if you would want to run, say, uh, Genji Tracer Winston into her, for example, where I think she could just get out of that and really shake pressure. So uh, if nothing else, I wonder if we're just going to hit the era here where the support you, a team likes running also kind of dictates what the optimal composition to run into them is because uh, it, I feel like in general, her being around might just be a nerf to dive period as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, what does a duel between Moira and Tracer look like right now? It, is it still, is it really bad one direction or like I, I wonder if I mean if you, if you have your E up as Moira, you're in a pretty good spot. Right. I mean, uh, Tracer's got to be scared of that shit. I don't think you're going to be able to like you're not going to be able to kill a good Tracer, but yeah. I don't think she's yeah. Tracer isn't going to be able to kill you fast enough. Given that you have the E, you can use it to self heal. You can use it to right click do damage heals to the too. So yeah, the right click heals. Yeah, and yeah, so like all of those things put together make it so Tracer's not going to be wanting to dive. Uh, and focus her energy on someone that she's probably not going to be able, to be able to kill, at least not quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's how you like pretty much counter Tracer, right? Like, you don't really expect to kill her unless you're playing like McCree or something. You can burst her down really quick. Mm -hmm. You just want to do enough damage to her where she feels like she has to leave. And yeah. that's, you know, all you have to do is hit like two headshots on when you're playing Soldier and she has to rewind or blink out, hit like an orb as then, and she has to leave. So, yeah, the goal is never really to, like, burst her down and kill her, but as long as you can annoy her and put her into a position where she has to run away or play safer, then you've pretty much won the fight, you know, for that entire cycle. She has to wait for her cooldown to come back, so you have, like, a safe, like, 10 or so seconds, like, position right. yourself. Okay. Yeah. I think the the way I would start categorizing this, and I would try and think about, you know, casting-wise, how do you discuss comps people are going with, is that... You sort of have your high-risk, high-reward supports into theory with your Anas and Zenyatas, right? Where 
Anans and Yada don't have any escape options, but they have really powerful tools to use where Ana had, you know, still has really high healing throughput with her grenade, sleep dart, uh, nano boost, which I mean, arguably nano boost could probably get buffed a little bit or something. It's definitely probably one of the more lackluster support ultimates, but either way, I'd still say Ana is sort of like high risk, high reward, also requires a lot of skill. Then you have Zenyatta, who's sort of the definition of high risk, high reward, where he can't really get out of things, but he has lots of damage to back things up with Discord Orb, etc. But his healing is a little bit less. Moira is sort of in the category of you know supports where there's not a lot of risk in running her. You could put her pretty much everywhere. She has pretty good healing, but you're not getting the offensive options or the niche options that you get from some of the other supports. So it's interesting because now you could start sort of classifying into this and you really want the support versus comp, or you really want that support versus this other comp and, you know, get more swapping mid game, which I think was, you know, one of the main goals that devs always wanted. Okay. So I think the most important question to ask, you know, in terms of Moira, uh, particularly UZP since you're casting is how are you going to not say golden showers and, you know, golden mist while when you're casting oh <laughs> Moira? I, I mean, Jason was like non, Jason and Mitch were, Mitch were like nonstop saying it in the very okay, first game. Jason dragged Mitch into the abyss. Mitch would not <laughs> yeah. have said that if Jason did not open up with it, where <laughs> Mitch was clearly not enthusiastic, but it's like, look, it's out there, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I would just say I was gonna say toxic spray or something. Toxic I mean, spray. Toxic spray. <laughs> but it's a yeah. heal. What are you talking about? It's not even toxic. Well, okay, what, whatever. She's spraying out whatever the good stuff is that Roadhog has. It looks also looks toxic. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let's call it whatever it is. But yeah, I, you don't have to call it that particular term. I feel like that's an easy problem to rectify. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. All right, all right, all right. Uh, okay, why don't we uh, go into some news here? We've got a, a few things. Um, first off, it's kind of a cool thing, just at least from a community standpoint, is that our our Overwatch subreddit or Overwatch subreddit has gone over a million subscribers, which um, is a pretty huge milestone, given that I believe there's only one other game community that's gone over a million, which is League of Legends. So um, I felt like it was just like the other day. It was like 700,000 and now it's freaking like a million. This is incredible. Well, it's, it's super exciting because of Owl coming around, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So like hopefully if Owl does his job and it gets these people more interested and competitive, that's huge. Because I know it was a, a big topic of debate a while ago when the first uh, competitive Overwatch subreddit came around. Everyone was like, oh, but now you're creating a, div a divide, right? Like between the community, between casual players and competitive, where you really want it to be more of a, of a bridged community, you know? You don't really have like our competitive League of Legends. You just have right. our League of Legends. So hopefully now, you know, Owl will introduce these people to, to comp and you can see a lot more competitive news on the subreddit. Mm -hmm. It's already happening. Uh, yeah. we, and th we've talked about this probably a dozen times uh, yeah. on the show. Uh, okay. Maybe more. Maybe more. Uh, and one of the things we always said is, don't worry, once Owl comes around, we're yeah. going to start seeing it. And it's actually true. It's already happening. Um, I, I don't know if you guys remember. Well, obviously, Clockwork remembers. But uh, the week and a half, two weeks leading up into BlizzCon, it was literally every single day. It was new roster announcements, new brands mm -hmm. being revealed. Um, obviously, having the team skins as part of that helps bridge that divide. But yeah. every single one of those was getting pretty high up on our Overwatch, the main subreddit. Um, obviously, the World Cup was constantly up there during BlizzCon. It's BlizzCon, so that's like not a great example. But 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that these are all really encouraging signs. We've already seen Overwatch esports make a huge, uh, uh, have a huge presence on the main subreddit. Uh, having the skins has really helped with that. Uh, it, it's happening. It's already happening, especially with the new spectator mode. I can't tell you how, I mean, I'm trolling through Reddit comments all the time. I can't tell you how many comments were like, I've never enjoyed watching Overwatch esports. I'm now a fan. I'm sold. Like, I can't wait for OWL. So you saw a ton of that in these last couple of weeks, which is, uh, it bodes well. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. it definitely, definitely bodes well. It's super exciting because, you know, everyone's always worried about Twitch viewership. And <laughs> yeah. World Cup game got how many viewers? Like Over 300,000. day one. So, and which is way more than the opening ceremony uh, viewership, by the way, too. Before people go into the like, oh, it's just opening ceremony. Yeah. It's like, nope. Yes. We can really get numbers on day two as well. It's hours after it too that it maxed out. So <laughs> you can't, you yeah. can't uh, at least uh, point to that in that direction this time around. Um, yeah, so it's really exciting. I mean, our cow is even at 121 dollars, which is like freaking that's, awesome yeah, too. That's yeah. a lot. I expected it to be fun. a lot lower than that, but yeah. 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 So definitely a growing community, and hopefully we can see it. Let's let's beat League of Legends, guys. That'd be pretty amazing then, to actually see that. Yeah. Um, okay. Next bit of news is we we actually had some national support from, you know, like the government or the politicians uh, from the standpoint of the the World Cup. So um, the French politician, I, I don't want to totally massacre his name. <laughs> uh, when when they had their <laughs> assembly, that he actually um, gave a shout out to the French. Overwatch team, you know, and just how they they finished uh, in the World Cup. So that's really cool. I mean, leading up to the World Cup, I feel like the French France as a country were doing like these very national type of promotions of the French team, whether it was in the news or even there was like even some campaigns and things that were for it. And, and that was like incredible to see. But this is like even another thing where they're actually recognized during a you know. Uh, a political just in the political circles there so um you know what it'd be nice to see a french team at some point in the overwatch league yeah, hopefully right. we'll see that you know in, in the near future season two or whatever but i don't know i think it's just it's really great i mean can you imagine if like trump said something about the u.s team <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that yeah. would be crazy i mean it crazy. bodes well for uh for like a paris team right like, yeah i don't think uh, so paris let's hope so man there, there's certainly well. enough uh talent and yeah yeah, for sure. Uh, next bit of news here, we've got um, oh the uh, competitive Overwatch subreddit. They did their team rankings, and um, I figured it would be a good time for us to m- maybe see how our team rankings match theirs. Uh, so let me bring it up real quick. And this was this was uh, basically composed of of a lot of people, you know, giving their feedback, and then somebody just made this graph, which it's kind of hard to understand at first. Because of uh, uh, just how it's how it's made, but basically we've got. Um, let's see who do we have first here. Shoot, it's kind of small on my screen. Maybe one of you guys can read it out here. We've got. Uh, is it the? So I, I, I'm actually not sure. Was this like done democratically? It's just like based on votes yeah. or something. Yeah. No, well, it's not votes. It's just like I think people gave like a bunch of their opinions um, as to what their rankings were, and then this was just uh, compiled. You know, so this type of range and uh, ranking. So it's kind of split up into different tiers, I would say. Um, but you can kind of see uh, just ha- how it uh, played out here. Let me actually blow it up on my other screen. So it's, it's really hard for me to see this this image because it's kind of small on my, this right now. Uh, okay, so anyways, we have the London Spitfire as the, the people have as the number one 
Uh, looks like the Soul Dynasty is like really, really close too. Just uh, both of those being kind of the one and two teams. Dallas Field third. The New York Excelsior fourth. Uh, we've got Fusion Valiant kind of in the same range there. The Outlaws, you guys, uh, in the same range, but a little bit lower than those other two. And then we've got another tier, which is more the Florida Mayhem, bigger range there. And then the LA Gladiators, Shanghai Dragons being uh, the, was it, the, the 10th team. And then we got the Shock and the Uprising kind of finishing it. Uprising looks like it's last by uh, quite a bit, too. Uh, so, okay, let's see what, how you guys feel about it. Where, do you guys agree with this? Do you guys disagree? Where do you guys disagree? I would think the Houston Outlaws would be a big disagreement right here, at least from Clockwork's uh, so, standpoint. I'll let Clock go first, but... Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're definitely... I, the New York Excelsior especially, you don't really know how well they're going to be doing, right? That team hasn't competed and they haven't played Apex, right? And Wow, you don't yeah, even know. They skip like last. They week. are relative, yeah, to mm-hmm. other teams at this point. Metas have changed; people got better. Whatever. Um, so it's hard to really rank them. Uh, I think that we we could definitely be higher. I think it's weird that uh, I'm trying to like blow it up, and every time I blow it up, my mouse click just brings okay, it up. Know, right? Well, you <laughs> copy yeah. the image, then uh, like address to bring it up there. But while you're fixing that, like I, I will say what you were probably going toward yeah. there is that why would you have valiant so high when yeah. immortals got absolutely yeah. wrecked right. in the last contender yeah. season that makes no yeah. sense like that right valiant has a lot of stuff to fix between when we lost saw them and now and i definitely would not have them high up on a ranking until we saw that they fixed the issues they had which were plentiful i mean immortals got wrecked in the, in uh season one and it wasn't a very good season for them the other thing I'd say there is that I think Dallas Fuel is getting slipped on a little bit here, where even though I expect both London and uh, Seoul to be pretty good, I don't think there's any reason to not have the Fuel as one of your absolute best teams going into it. Yeah, they're top two for me, for yeah, sure. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think they could definitely beat either of the Korean teams. I would put them as like a strong favorite. I think they might be the best team. Um, and I think it's I think it's just kind of the way the community works, right? They always like kind of attach themselves to... Uh, like prior conceptions of teams. So Immortals, for instance, like even though they didn't really do that well during Contenders, everyone kind of has their own idea of how good they are. It was the same way with Rogue. You know, Rogue didn't really do well at all during Contenders, and everyone still has them as like one of the best teams in the world, you know? Um, So I think it's just sort of like how people's minds work. They just kind of get attached to what, what, what it was before. They don't really keep up to date, but... Yeah, so where do you see you, the outlaws? Where, where do you where do you see yourself here? Just make, uh, you know, come on, just like throw it out there. Yeah, where, where do you? See I think yourself? we could be. I think we're like. I think we could easily be top four. If not, I would say at least like the five to six range, uh, like immediate. You know, mm-hmm. instantly. Okay. Uh, I think that. I think it's weird just having Excelsior so high without really knowing how well they're gonna do. I think as a team on FNRG, we always did really well against um, the Fuel or Envy at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that that should show that people, you know, yeah, you guys took new additions and, and a, an actual sponsor and some backing that we could definitely do a lot better than we should. Right, yeah. exactly. 
Yeah, you guys took a map off them at Contenders, right? In the, we were in the semis. Really no, close. More than that. Yeah, they, they were we, close We were games. really close yeah. at LAN. Yeah, we should have won Oasis. Uh, we should have. Yeah. I, I hate to say like we should have won because everyone should have won. Should have won. But I think we. Yeah, Effect just kind of killed their whole team at the end. <laughs> we were actually going to win good. Oasis, and then Effect <laughs> killed their entire team. So <laughs> he's really good. I yeah. would say when I look at this, the biggest things that strike out to me, I do agree that I think like the bottom for Outlaws is probably six, but they very easily could jump yeah. up to four or higher. I would say looking at this here, aside from Valiant, which definitely should be lower from what we've seen, I think uh, Shanghai is potentially yes. getting slept on here. I, I definitely would not put the below a lot of the teams that they are below right now. I think for I would say Excelsior and Shanghai are both sort of my X factors where I don't really know where they can go. I would say on this list, I could see Shanghai going a lot higher than they're currently pegged at. I could see New York going a lot lower. Philly is going to be interesting uh, in terms of where they go. I also think, you know, Philly also has the entire thing of like, holy crap, can you get a visa for Shadowburn in time? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's interesting parts of the Philly roster, just seeing how quickly it comes together. So they're sort of in the ether for me in terms of, could they finish top six? Possibly. Could they, finish pretty poorly it's possible mm -hmm. i also think mayhem might be a little bit overrated here where i, I think florida has really put themselves in a bit of a hole they don't have depth on their roster right now yeah, they're they you know, six players, right? uh, yeah they have six players so it's sort of like i don't think that's a great look going into owl i think that especially if coaches are smart about swapping things up and analyzing teams uh florida could be setting themselves up for a lot of hurt here because of how they've handled their rosters. So yeah. I think Florida has the potential to drop even lower than where they're at in this list right now. You got to remember though, the first, after the first stage, uh, I believe the rumor uh, is that they're going to open up signings, right? I, I don't think it's been officially confirmed, but uh, I a hundred percent like mayhem is going to sign more people. Um, right. and, like there's just no way. It seems like an yeah. accident. <laughs> but but now they, they like, can't plan around it. Now they have to exactly, like, sign a yeah. bunch of people. Like yeah. that's not a great you, idea. You don't like, want to like you don't want to go in for like the first like few months and like not do well and then have like a lot of tension in the roster and then bring like new people and it just doesn't really like work that way. There's going to be even more tension. If yeah. There's new people. It's bad that are culture for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, man, ZP, you pretty much like, you pretty much were saying all the things I was thinking too. I, I feel like Mayhem awesome. for me is like bottom three for me. I think Shanghai is probably at least swapped with Florida. Um, I, I think a lot of people just don't know anything about the Shanghai Dragons, but I don't know what I've seen from China. I, you know, when they have their like a hundred percent their their team and not like substitutes and things, you know, we saw we've seen good things from them. So um, I at least think it would warrant like middle of the pack here and maybe even better. Who knows? Um, Can anyone tell me why the Shanghai Dragons aren't just the miraculous youngsters squad? I don't like, know. Like, <laughs> that's there's, another there's question. There's actually not a single of MY is on that team, right? Uh, no, I, I think there's, at, no, I think there is, there's like at least one. Um, is there? I, I can't there see it right now. Well, the I'm issue like, is there's kind of a lack of insiders on the Chinese scene. Like, obviously, you yeah. have people that watch a lot of OWPS and cast mm -hmm. that, but that's not giving you any insight into the inner politics of what's going on there, where, I mean, may maybe I'm wrong and someone, like, really does know what's going on, but I've yet to meet anyone that really knows the inner workings of what's going on there, just because there is such a uh, cultural barrier, language barrier, and getting uh, solid info on... You know, I guess the inner workings of how Shanghai is uh, handling things. Yeah, miraculous youngsters could have had 
you know, the, the people that made it onto the roster could have wanted to play with these players for a long time, and maybe they were, like, yeah. locked in by their organizations or whatever it was, and they finally have a chance now to branch out. Well, NY is my pick for Contenders Season 2, dude. Yeah, like, it's totally. Was insane. Actually, yeah, Runaway is still in that, huh? No, yeah, uh, Runaway run, should be due. Run, I mean, but Runaway and MY. <laughs> MY will compete for sure. Um, but you have to remember, guys, the World Cup team did well, too, in the in the group stages. You know, and that was pre-subs too, and I don't think that was MY players either. So there's yeah. a plethora of great Chinese players. It's just you know, no, no, none of us know about them, so we're obviously gonna rate them pretty low. Um, yeah, but I, I pretty much agree with a lot of what you said, ZP. So I, I, I think the fusion are probably properly rated. That's the only thing I'd say. Like I obviously Shadowburn being signed or not, but I think the fusion actually looked pretty decent or pretty good well, too. Why are both the, why is the same color used for Dynasty and a present? I don't know. I got I got mixed up with that. I was like, holy shit! Like, they have what? Spitfire. What do they have Dynasty last. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, one thing I'd reiterate though uh, is that fuel is definitely underrated here. There's no, like I would oh, yeah. put fuel on the same tier as any top team in the game, so I would not put yeah. like London yeah. or Seoul like significantly or fuel or really necessarily over fuel at all so that that part there is i don't know why fuel is getting underrated there they've really given anyone any reason to underrate them and they mm. think they look stronger over time the i'll come back to give me give me the uh, zp analysis on the boston uprising <laughs> oh no oh god I guess what I'd say about Boston, and that actually just reminded me of the point I was going to get to here, is that I think it's telling that Philly was able to put together a roster that on paper looks like it's at least going to be middle of the pack when, from all accounts, Philly had some of the least amount of time to build their roster. They were one of the last ads into the league, and they really had the scramble to go for players that weren't tapped yet. And Boston was a team that had the most time to build their roster. They were one of the earliest signs. Like, we know that they were putting the management structure in place uh, very early into the process. And Boston wasn't able to sign a lot of the sort of obvious picks that Philly was able to bring onto their roster. And that seems like a mistake on the Boston side of things. Because, look, I mean, it, obviously there could be reasons like budgetary concerns. Maybe they didn't have heard it's money budgetary. or well, yeah. whatever, whatever it might have been. But even still, there's definitely players that are out there that they missed on that aren't an owl at all. For example, like you have your AKMs of the world, and I'm pretty sure AKM would have signed for uh, the minimum if need be. Yeah. And he's not on the roster, and you just sort of look at it and go, I don't understand. And right. that, that's just sort of how I look at the Boston roster. I look at the time they have, how teams like Philly were able to sign a lot of good players late into the game. And, you know, I look at it, I'm just sort of like, I don't understand. Well, Buds, too, right? Say. Yeah, Buds. Buds is, yep. Buds is a good example, I think. He could have easily been on. I mean, there, there are there are like two dozen players. Ben has that... a Ben has a spreadsheet full of <laughs> players that probably would have signed yeah. for. Uh, I, I you know speaking of which, do you think it would have been smart to sign for the minimum? Like if you're AKM, I, I, it depends. Like it's when, a two year uh, kind of contract, right? That's is that yeah. good or bad? I mean, I I'm wondering if that would even been smart to do that. Um, yeah. I guess it's better to be on it than not be on it, <laughs> like with the, the risk <laughs> involved right now. Um, okay, Ben, any any comments? I mean, you, you pretty much agree with this. List I, I haven't said much. I mean, I, I mainly agree with. I think I agree with most of this list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I actually like uh you know not not just saying this because you get because you got clockwork on the show, but I <laughs> actually really do believe in this uh, outlaw squad. Uh, yeah, I do too. You know, Jake Jake seriously impressed me at the World Cup, like. 
I know it's the World Cup is a totally different setting, but wow, he he just is such a smart player, and he couldn't stop talking about how he thinks Coolmat is maybe the best player in the entire game. Like he, he literally, Coolmat liter- is so good, dude. Coolmat is amazing. Uh, I I played multiple games with Coolmat. He's freaking unbelievable. But yeah, yeah like I I agree with that that statement as well. Like Spree is like such a good player to have like as a potential backup player. Mm-hmm. Like Rock has yeah, played super well at the World Cup. Um, I've been a Linkser fanboy for yeah. years yeah, before so uh, before this game came out yeah. from Dirty Bomb. So, like, I do think that this team actually is pretty insane. Um, yeah, I, I don't really disagree with too much in this. But I think it's all a lot. Put? Sorry? Do you agree with the ranking of Valiant on that list? Oh, no, I don't. Um, they made some late signings, right? I, I forget exactly who it yeah. was. Yeah, um, Unko, right? Um, yeah, Unko and Sue. The two rogue guys. The two yeah. rogues. Yeah, yeah. They're good pickups, but. Yeah. I mean, to, to really say those pickups would be like the difference between them performing well and not performing well at contenders is definitely up in the air. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we'll see how the power rankings. We'll probably have a, another show. Well, I mean, we'll probably have to do maybe some modified ones, who knows, by the time uh, the regular seasons come. But. Um, Midway through, it'll be interesting to see how, how things turn out and uh, who people pick up. It might just be like literally the, the Florida Mayhem draft that happens midway through the season. Who knows? But uh, it, it'll be good to see if uh, any of these predictions are correct or not. I would reiterate one thing here is that in terms of like the craziest movement in terms of surprising people, mm-hmm. I would say New York right now probably has the biggest chance to underperform where people think they're going to go and i would say shanghai has the biggest chance to outperform uh, people's expectations okay between the two yeah i agree yeah all right uh the next thing we're going to talk about is uh something that uh i think most of us took part in this weekend which was um a tribute to a, a friend of ours dennis uh Hawalka, aka internet hulk that uh a lot of you probably know now that that watch this show or in, in the Overwatch community, we actually lost him on uh, like this past Wednesday. So very shocking news to just the entire community. Uh, but the community was able to, you know, especially with Ben, actually Ben and, and ZP here as well as Nuki uh, w- was able to get together this event in like a matter of a day or two. And uh, we had this uh, Hulktastic Cup just as a tribute that had a lot of the pro players playing in it, and some of them kind of throwing back to some of their old teams, you know, just to you know, just as a way to you know honor Dennis. And um, you know, we were raising money also for the uh, family, for his family. And um, man, the community came out in a super huge way, and we ended up raising over twenty five thousand dollars, which is, I mean, that like was. Way, it just totally blew my mind. Just had that. that about twenty seven thousand dollars. Twenty seven. The last count. Which yeah, is it was incredible. Just incredible. But I would just say, like the overall, just um, you know, d- just the community coming out and doing this, just participating and, and really contributing to it. I mean, it just shows you how amazing this community is, and when we can do something like that for one of our own. And um, you know, it's touching. I mean, I don't want to get all cheesy and and you know, like like. Uh, Bible dump or whatever, but you know, it makes me proud to be part of this community whenever we can do something like this. And you know, it was really, I just was happy to be able to take part in the, the event. And you know, I know ZP and you know, Ben, you guys had more of a part in organizing it. So, you know, kudos to you guys too. 
yeah, it was, it was a amazing that, uh, the community just rallied together, um, in such a, such a powerful way. I mean, it's the internet. You're going to see a lot of shitty stuff, but like it, none of that was there. Like people were just there to show their support. And, uh, I think one of the things that amazed me the most was, uh, I mean, I've met Dennis quite a few times. I had met Dennis quite a few times. Uh, a, a lot of people had played with him, had met him at lands. Um, but everyone, even the, the casual fans had a pretty good understanding of just how important this guy was to the scene. Uh, and, and like the things that people had to say about him, there were so many common threads to pull there that it felt to me like even your everyday fan felt like we did about Dennis uh, and knew kind of like how, how, who he was as a person. Um, so it, it was it was an honor to be part of it. I was really, really glad to be part of that. And it, it was awesome to see the community rally. Uh, but, we, you know, uh, rallying for for all the wrong reasons. I, well, for the right reasons. But, uh, you know, it was it, it, it was great to see the community come together, but also probably like probably like the hardest death I've ever had to deal with in my life. Um, I mean, I've lost some grandparents, but, uh, you know, those were at least expected. So it's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've heard what they say, you know, when it's, when it's really sudden, it's a, a lot harder to deal with and, and especially when he's so young. So it, it was, it was tough, but it was good to see people come together. Especially when a lot of people had seen him like at TwitchCon and mm -hmm. yeah. I saw him back in 10 actually. And, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. He was at TwitchCon two weeks before that. Yeah, I mean, we it's were crazy. We were crazy hanging out outside. Remember the, outside the restaurant then? Yeah, like, yeah. We were, we were yep. totally hanging out with them. So it's just, it's, yeah, t definitely crazy. ZB, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what more can you say, right? It's mm -hmm. a case where uh, Dennis had a huge impact on us all. And I know we all really went deep into our death stories for the tribute stream and i mean i either i think about there's stories that i still haven't even mentioned about him just mm -hmm. the idea where there's, there's know, stories that should it, never be mentioned uh, <laughs> yeah i'm telling you the, the good kind not the like dennis why, why have you done this guy <laughs> uh but no i mean it, honestly just the community coming together was something great to see where it, it's a case where as you mentioned ben sometimes the internet is a hit or miss on you know do we have dignity do we have class and uh Across the board, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better event uh, to help remember a person that was really just core to the Overwatch scene. Yeah, we had we had like how many people participated in it? Probably like twenty people, I think, maybe just on the broadcast itself. So that's not including the players. So uh, so a lot that of people. Was the most stressful it, day of production I have ever. I had. know, and like, ZP was story. running the production, so man. Serious, huge kudos to you, Andy, for that. Like so for me, our production stuff, Norm, yeah. usually you try and like preset all your overlays way ahead of time <laughs> in response to like cameras and everything else. Having to yeah. swap that out midway through for people that had like, you know, very chaotic schedules and wanted to come in for a game to pay their tributes. Uh, I was losing my mind over the course of the day. For, yeah, but for all reasons, really, uh, production-wise, like emotional, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was a day. Yeah. Oh well, uh, there's one there's one little memory that I definitely want to bring up just because of the last time that Dennis was actually on the show, and if you guys don't remember, he was on the show talking about um, his transition. Remember, he like he made his announcement about going to Rogue, and I found yeah. this picture which I thought was funny, and just of him, and, oh. <laughs> and it just like cracked me up, and I thought it might be good just to bring up again. But um, 
Yeah. Anyways, we lost one of the good ones, guys. And, you know, um, I, I know that uh, one thing that was announced was just that um, I think his service is going to be in the L.A. area. So I don't know, you know, right. if a lot of the players were planning on going, but that's really cool of his family. You know, I know his family was, was, was like, incredibly touched by just the entire... Did they announce um, the yeah. details for it yet? Uh, I didn't see a date. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, but... Well, I know, no, I'm just thinking yeah. about booking a flight. So that's those yeah. things. It's like, yeah. I actually, like, don't want to get surprised and don't want to somehow not go to it. It's, yeah. it's just really nice, like, how much the community contributed to, to him and his family because... Mm -hmm. He contributed so much to, to everybody, even just pro players. I mean, like, I was never, I, I never played with him or anything, but whenever I saw him at an event, he was just, he had that presence, you know, where like everything you said was important to him. Like, he tried to reach out to everybody and get to know everyone. And it was, he was hilarious, really funny, super charismatic. And um, he was definitely an awesome guy. So, yeah, just a rare spirit. So, you know, definitely. Um... You know, definitely remember him, and and hopefully, uh, you know, people will be inspired by him just in the, just the way he he lived his life. So, um, all right, let's let's see what else we have here. Okay, we got Q and A left here. We have uh, we had some questions, given that we didn't go through any of them last week. So some of these are, are carryover. Uh, we got Dusty Crunkler. Oh, by the way, if you want, guys want to send in your questions, go ahead and do that at the overview at chamanv.tv. But Dusty Crunkler has a question. Big fan of the show. Thanks for making it. If you have any casters on, could you ask them if what it's like trying to entertain and trying to be entertaining and loose while knowing there's thousands of people listening to them? Do they seek tips and counsel from other sport cast, sports casters like radio, I guess, um, personalities? Does Blizzard bring in other commentators and play-by-play -play guys to coach new talent, or do they just trust you guys to know what you're doing? So clockwork, yeah. Do, 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 does Blizzard do that? No, just kidding. So ZB, yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, what do you so, what do you think about this? Learn by doing. <laughs> that's how we all did. That's how we all got here. Right. Well, when it comes to broadcasting, it's really sort of you make your own path. Uh, one thing that, and I mean, I've gotten DMs to this uh, extent. I sort of have to tell people is like, no, uh, you just you have to put out content, do your own stuff. Is that being a broadcaster? There's no obvious career path like there is for other jobs in the world. It's not like you apply and go, I would like to intern as a broadcaster. And then, you know, I would like to just, you know, tell me what to do. You sort of have to make your own way, make your own content. And it is a competitive field where, you know, no one's going to hold your hand and tell you how to improve. You have to really look at yourself and review your broadcast, review your work and improve it on your own. And obviously you can go to your peers for feedback and a lot of us do, but it's sort of like at the end of the day, the biggest arbiter on what you're doing needs to be yourself and you have to be your own harshest yeah. critic. The idea is like, how do you deal with the pressure of dealing with broadcasts where thousands of people are watching? Uh, over time, you just become numb to it. I mean, it, you know, you put out your best effort every day, but in a sense, it also is another day at the office where you're not, you, you, get to a point where you're not thinking about how many people are listening on any given time. It's just, it's not something that really actively goes through your mind. You're broadcasting. People are going to be listening. It, it's as simple as that. So has Blizzard yeah, had any of those training? Like I know they've done like, like some type of like training summits and, or, or those type of things in, in Hearthstone. Have they done it at all in Overwatch or no? Like brought, uh, not, no. Uh, okay. Uh, as far as it's gone, Overwatch, uh, not really. I mean, okay. I would say Overwatch, due to its nature, has definitely attracted uh, 
like some of the best of the best or like people that have really worked insanely hard to do it. So, I mean, you've already like set a really high standard in Overwatch from the get go where there hasn't been a yeah. lot of here's how to do a broadcast. And, you know, even the people that are newer to it, like say Hex and I, who've started in Overwatch broadcasting, I mean, you know, we look to improve at all points. We do seek feedback from production people uh, when it's there, but a lot of it is sort of self-taught and going, look, this is, there's a lot of people that want to get into this game. How do we stay a step ahead of the curve? So we, you know, mm-hmm. basically are always putting our best foot forward. So I, I don't know. I, I would guess what I'd say for Overwatch is that due to the nature of it being like, such a popular game and so many people wanting to get in it's sort of it's already been the survivor games for broadcasters to some extent where <laughs> yeah if you're coming in at a low level like it's difficult to get up because no one's going to hold your hand you know you know that's going to yeah. be the next few emails is like how to get into overwatch casting it's it's Make a content. pretty tough get way out there. to get in Look, there go, go back to the early days uh when we were doing 500 or no sorry 100 cups every weekend zp yeah was casting, doing production, and doing <laughs> observing so for yeah. 8 to 12 hours a day, both Saturday and Sunday, every weekend, for months. Months. Yeah. Almost a year. <laughs> I remember like, your schedule. This is a ridiculous period. Like, that's Holy the dedication crap. that you need. Uh, and exactly. people who put that dedication in get there. I mean, uh, I, I, when, when you and Hex were like casting every single weekend for the first year... I definitely got the um, room on fire, like uh, Semler, uh, Anders and Semler vibe from you guys, because that's exactly what they did too. They casted every online cup, they casted everything for like a year, and then all of a sudden they're the premier casters in, in CS:GO. Or yeah. I don't know, I guess they're not anymore, but they were for they were for a couple <laughs> years. Yeah, for a while. Um, so yeah. Anyway, and I do probably believe there's still opportunities, right? Where you look at how someone like Flame got into it, where even though it didn't, you know, he ended up forking off to the GM route. Like he did have a road to be a broadcaster if he wanted to from what did he do? Made videos, uh, analyst videos that were of a high quality that people enjoyed and it built up a following. Right. So it, it comes down to be your own harshest critic, make good content and go from there. And I mean, also know your limitations, right? Like on some level you have to have an in flames in is that, he did have connections with the previous pro scene, so he added authenticity to his analysis videos. Obviously, even though I don't think you have to be a GM-level player necessarily to be a good analyst, if you don't have any other credentials, that helps, right? Like, you, you need to make sure you have something there, where if you're just, like, a dude that's going in and goes, like, I like Overwatch, I want broadcast, <laughs> but you do analysis videos and yeah. you have been in esports before and your top rating is, like, 2,000, I, I think that'd be difficult. The the other thing I note here too is that on top of having an in, it's an investment of money as well, right? Where people judge you based on what they hear, what they see. If you're making content and you're doing the hard part, which is doing the work, but then you've messed up the easy part because you're using a fifty dollar microphone and you know you're not encoding at a high level and like your game quality looks mushy and all the rest, you're not giving people a reason to really care about what you're doing so you know the little things matter quite a bit and you you have to have some like unique hook that makes people want to listen to you right Okay, uh, let's see. The Me55 has a question, and I'll kind of ask you this, Clockwork. I have a question regarding betting, actually. I feel the other major sports get a huge chunk of their viewership from sports betting. 
since the game is much more interesting if you have money on one team or the other. I did see a link uh, on one of Thorne's video leading to esports betting. What can you tell me about the current scene with in regards to this? And um, do you think the OWL, um, let's see, it could make OWL much more lucrative considering VODs are very accessible and stats can be tracked much more accurately than traditional sports. Your thoughts? So yeah, just generally, betting in Overwatch League, I mean, or just Overwatch, do you see that? Being important to the growth and I want to say one stuff. quick thing here as my lawyer, I advise as your fake internet lawyer, I advise you to not answer this question. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm actually serious. I think that this it's a topic that's really easy to answer in the wrong way and make people angry. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it needs any for the betting, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, mean people people thought CSGO was gonna die when they when they banned and took down all of those CSGO betting websites. It 100% wasn't the case. The E-League CSGO major was the biggest ever, and that was yeah. after the fact. Um, I will say, as an American, can we just have sports betting be legal, please? Like, I, I, I just, I, I would love to do it, but I don't, because it's illegal where I live. Right. I, I, like, I just wish we would just get with, the rest of the world, well, at least most of Europe, and just like legalize gambling in, in more ways. I, I know like gambling's not not great for the kids and stuff like that, but <laughs> I just I, I would I would do it. I would do it, and I'd yeah. make tons of money. And really. make tons of money, really. <laughs> Sports expert over here. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it needs it for sure. I mean, I think it would help it. I mean, why? You know, I think when you create like an environment where you where there is like an you know, whether it's fantasy or it's betting, you know, whatever it is, right? If there's an, an alternate reason to be interested in, in a sport or an e-sport, then of course, that's going to add more interest just overall to it. So would it help it grow? Yeah, it would help it grow, but it doesn't need it though. And I mean, I, I feel like Blizzard's always had a, a big stance and, and this comes because of my experience with, you know, asking, you know, whether it's Hearthstone team or whatever. It's like, hey, you know, if I want to do an, uh, an event, if I get sponsored by, you know, this betting site or this, you know, whatever fantasy site, is that okay? And generally they don't like that. So no. I would not be surprised if, you know, uh, we, we've all seen the duct tape on, on like fanatic <laughs> Jersey. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's true. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, it's like, why do you have tape there? It's like, well, yeah. you know what website it's linking to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Earwax. Better question clockwork res could be an enchantment so what do you think about res um this is a kind of idea for res res could be an enchantment buff a buff a character for 10 to 30 seconds if they die within the same time they res instantly uh what if res was like that this would add counterplay to ability the, the game would have to have a visual indicator to show both teams who was who buffed but it would still be beneficial to kill a, a player that's ulting even if they are buffed just for the ult cancel unlike a certain bubble that's just simply the the just simply don't attack. Keep the current setup during Valkyrie and you res the ability becomes a two-person instant res. Okay, so I guess that the Valkyrie would be the same, but what do you think about res being more of a, you know, like something that's on a a, a player instead of something where you just mm. res a guy who's dead? Yeah, I don't know. It might be better. I think the, the biggest problem with res is just that having an initial pick is so important in Overwatch, and then the fact that you can just negate it instantly... The res is, is really hard. That's why it's so hard when you're like playing matchmaking now. Usually you just feel like a pick and then you just move in and you win, right? But now you just get res instantly. It's like a I think Mercy I think res as an ult was okay. I really don't yeah. like it as much as a cooldown. 
I think what the angle that I would have liked to see with Mercy is to just make her more well-rounded as, you know, utility-wise as a hero. So, like, Anna, for instance, has her nade, has heals. Um, Zen has her discord, but Mercy really just doesn't have anything. I mean, you can damage boost a player, but that's, you know, you have to be in range or whatever. She doesn't really have much utility outside of actually healing. So maybe to, like, add... I think a cleanse was a good idea that a lot of people had to her E, where you can cleanse Discord, you can cleanse um, debuff, stuff like that, and just keep her the same with res being an ult. I think that would have been better. I like the idea of only being able to res one person. I always thought res should have been that way, because I think it's kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. I totally it's like one person, just one person at a time, you know, at the very least. Like, because being able to res multiple people is kind of, I think, uh, I think it causes a lot of problems, but I think her having a lot more utility, just in general, more movement, more ability to heal or to aid her teammates in ways that aren't just directly healing them would be really beneficial. And then her ult just being, you know, a res on one teammate wouldn't be a nerf if she had other aspects of her game that were more fine-tuned, I think. Um, I, I don't disagree, like, I, that if you add more dimensions to her uh, and nerf her resing ability, she could be just as cool and fun. The one thing I will say, and I, I was trying to pry in when we had Jake on the show last, last week, a little bit more into this. Uh, it was so, it was like impossible to talk during that episode. Cause Jake was, just <laughs> Jake going, Jake was on fire, dude. He is long winded, um, man. But yeah, yeah I, I wanted to it's pry cool. in and just like, be like, look, I know. What do you think about the 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 uh, like? Jake uh, has been really really critical of how uh, Junkrat and Mercy have made ranked a not great experience. But we watched the World Cup and it was amazing. It was incredible. It was the best Overwatch we've ever seen. I think by far. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what my point is here. I wanted to ask. I wanted to like pry Jake a little bit more on that. But like I don't know. Maybe like, like at the highest level, is it really that big of a problem? I guess is maybe your yeah. Your, that's always like the that's yeah. always the thing, though, right? It's like that's why a lot of people get so frustrated with ranked is that it's just not like applicable to the actual game. It's just such a different experience mm -hmm. to when you're yeah, scrimming and when you're playing matches. You have like so many checks and balances and scrims and matches that would cause you to not die in a situation where you just die 100% of the time in matchmaking because you're not getting healed or like your tank is <laughs> off, you know, 100 miles away from you for no reason. Yeah. Stuff like that happens all the time. So in matchmaking, Junkrat is just so good, right? Because your tanks don't play positionally well I'm more enough. pissed off about Arisa and Junkrat right now than I am about Mercy on ranked. Arisa's pretty crazy. I fucking hate oh, playing man. against Arisa right now. I can't now. believe we're actually so, saying Arisa. those words. Arisa is crazy. Uh, Arisa, here's the problem with Arisa is that it actually is the ultimate on example rank. of something that is really incredibly obnoxious in a pub game and not as anywhere near as bad in an organized game. Like The problem with her yeah. is that the how shield tanks have worked in Overwatch up until Risa became a thing was there's always a period where the shield goes down. No matter what, there has to be a period yeah. where you shoot the Reinhardt shield enough, he's gonna have to back out. The shield is down for a while. You deal with the Winston, the bubble is a short lifespan. You can't have a bubble up at all times. Basically, Orisa sort of flips that on its head and goes, actually, feel free to have a shield up at all times. And it wasn't as big of a deal in the beginning and for a while because uh 
what's it called? It wasn't quite as good. Then it got buffed, but still was a big deal because if you do break through Orisa's sitting duck, Orisa, when combined with the current version of Mercy, has been a particularly rough mix for pub games because you have the situation where pubs are a lot worse at breaking shields and Cornet against them than a real competitive team is A. And then B, when you would eventually break through, yeah. you would hear heroes never die and Orisa would come back up. So I, I think the Orisa Mercy combination in particular has been quite bad for ranked right now, but hopefully that will get fixed a bit by Mercy Gang reined in. Yeah, agreed. I mean, <laughs> it's, I think if you just up to the cooldown, or at least you just increase the cooldown, it probably would be fine. But it's, what is it, like six seconds right now? It's, it's insane, like how short it is. Yeah. Plus, you can do the thing where you throw the shield up in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yep. you're, yeah. <laughs> even, even crazier. Tip of the. This is the tip of the week from from <laughs> Clockwork. Uh -huh, yeah. Always shoot your Arisa shield up in the air first. <laughs> that's okay? right. That's right. There's nothing Clockwork likes more than people playing Arisa better at his pub game. Just be <laughs> sure to use it against him when he goes to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I swear to God, nothing has told me more than Arisa recently. <laughs> Anyway, uh, eventually, you know, she had she had to become there. a bigger exactly. She had to become uh, she had to have some impact on the game eventually, and I guess now is the time. Um, but all right, guys, that's uh, that's going to wrap things up for the show. Uh, Clockwork, man, it's definitely been worth the wait having you on, man. It's been a lot of fun having you, and hopefully, you had some fun. Yeah, it was fun, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Long awaited. Yeah, I've been totally. waiting. <laughs> I, I checked my inbox the first time you wanted me on the on the show and then for the next year i was just sitting there every day checking my yeah just out. waiting did he invite me yet did he invite me yet oh man Dude, see you next year all right yeah, see you next year. <laughs> yeah we'll make this a routine right before thanksgiving then no uh, any shout outs you want to do before you take off um shout out to all my teammates um on the outlaws shout out to all the people who have helped me along the way I'm sure you know who you are ex-teammates parents you know Everyone who supported me. Mm -hmm. That's about it. And you guys, obviously. All right. Uh, ZP, shout outs? Uh, shout outs to Benadryl, which can knock you out right before a broadcast. Uh, probably deserved it. But other than that, uh, really, stand shout outs. Feel free to follow on Twitter at TepoZP. And uh, don't uh, take allergy medicine before you have to go on the podcast. Bad idea. <laughs> I'm just glad you made it, dude. <laughs> it definitely wouldn't have been the same if we weren't here. Uh, ben, how about you? Uh, I don't know what to shout out right now because there's nothing happening. There's no events, like, that's for sure. There's no events. There's 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 nothing um, until December sixth, I should say, which is the Overwatch League preseason. Uh, so I guess take a couple weekends off, enjoy some Overwatch, maybe play play PTR. There you go, play, play PTR. PTR. There we go. Out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll see you on ranked. Uh, I. I haven't been streaming much lately because my computer's been weird. You need to get a new computer. Like dude. weird, dude. Super weird. But uh, I'll, I'll see you in ranked if you're if you're on West Coast and in, in the in the GM range. I'll, I'll see you guys. I'm I'm gonna be playing a lot this week. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'll round things out. Thanks to the three of you guys for doing the show tonight. It was a lot of fun. Everybody from staying up late too and watching us. Uh, it's one of our longer ones. We, we tend to not go this long, but it's, this is definitely well worth it. Um, you can find the uh, the overview on iTunes as well as uh, Google Play and SoundCloud if you, you want to listen to us um, you know, on the way to work. And when you work out, yes, they actually do, ZP. The, you know, last time you and Flame were laughing, we got like 20 tweets with people telling us that they, they listen to us when they work out. So, yes, 
they actually listen <laughs> to us when they work out too. Uh, you can also find the VODs uh, the, if you want to watch this on video um, on youtube.com slash chainmanv. So, um, you know, subscribe to that. If you're interested in that, follow us all on Twitter. It's at chainmanv, at fishsticks, at tempozp, and at uh, like clockwork. Uh, you can follow the show too at the overview gg. But um, other than that, that's going to be it, guys, for this week. So for Clockwork, ZP, and Fishsticks, and myself, Jamie V, we'll see you next week. Later.